1: There's something very strange happening in New York City these past few months. Roadways across the area, especially the interstates, headed into Manhattan are seeing some of the worst traffic delays in years. The inbound GWB, everybody just stacked up here on 8095, on Route 4, on Route
2: 46. We've got a 90-minute to two-hour delay here at the inbound George Washington Bridge.
1: Of course, New York has always been famous for its traffic delays.
3: every day? Tom Kaminsky with The View this morning, hopefully not as bad as yesterday morning from Chopper 880. Wayne, it is easily as bad as yesterday morning, and I
2: think this is something that we are going to have to get used to.
1: Why is this happening? And why now, with so many office towers here in Manhattan still near empty? Yeah, it's a real conundrum. This week on 880 In-Depth, we dig into the post-pandemic car crisis that has arrived in the nation's biggest
0: city, How bad can it get? As the traffic gets worse and worse, and we are an island, particularly in Manhattan, that relies on people coming in and spending their money, uh, there will be some people that say, I'm I'm not going to bother. It's too difficult
1: to get in. Our conversation with Gridlock Sam on New York City's traffic problems We'll also talk to the acting chairman of the MTA about finding ways to get riders to come back on the suburban rails again.
3: We do need to look at new fare products and new fare uh, options.
1: Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld. Why has traffic gotten so bad lately? It's something I've been talking about for weeks. We expected roads to be busier after Labor Day, but not this bad. Traffic in some spots is way worse than before the pandemic. So we went to someone who knows about traffic and transportation in New York, Sam Schwartz. He started his career in government working in the Lindsay administration and eventually in the 1980s. He became traffic commissioner in New York City. Today, we know Sam Schwartz as Gridlock Sam from the Daily News. An engineer by trade, he has ideas about what's at play here and what might fix it. He spoke this week to our Peter Haskell.
2: We heard after Labor Day, people were going to come back to the office. It really hasn't happened that way. The offices are mostly empty, but traffic has exploded. What's going on? We're who are these people coming in, where are they coming from, and why is it so bad?
0: Yeah, it's a real conundrum that many of the offices are only at 20, 25 percent occupancy, yet traffic is as bad or worse than ever. A good deal of that has to do with the fact that of the people coming in, many more are driving as opposed to taking transit. The second part of that equation is there are far more trucks on the road. And so while car traffic is close to 100%, truck truck traffic is between 105 and 110%. And a truck's impact on traffic is about three times that of a car, based on acceleration, based on going uphill, and just general characteristics. So imagine if it's 5%, uh, 105%, that means a 15% impact on traffic. If it's 10%, it's a 30% impact on traffic. So the people who are suffering the most or the areas where we see the worst congestion are expressways. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that we are getting individual packages delivered to our homes. Uh, A lot of um, material goods were being delivered to offices are now being delivered to homes. A major trucker told me, use the toilet paper example. It used to be that you had industrial sized toilet paper delivered to the offices. Now you have individual rolls delivered to each uh, apartment where people are working from home. So trucks are contributing a great deal to this problem. So let's look at the cars first. You
2: have people who came in five days a week, bought a monthly pass on one of the railroads, Now, they're coming in maybe two days a week. They don't want to take the train. Two things. One, is that the case where they say, I'm going to drive? And two, what can the railroads do to try to get those folks
0: back on the trains? So, we conducted a a study a a year ago in terms of, uh, is transit a COVID-19 vector? And we interviewed virologists, epidemiologists, contact tracers from from around the world. And the answer came back as COVID, it, it's not a vector in transit. And it has a lot to do with the fact that, A, more than 90% of people in transit are, be, are masked. And in all of the cases that were studied. And people don't talk very much in transit. And we know that this is an airborne Uh, transmission and if you're just breathing and sitting and looking at your phone the velocity of the airborne particles from your mouth are captured by that mask for the most part. Uh, A number of other studies have now supported our findings. London does something very good that I wish the MTA here would do and they take samples of the air in the busiest stations and the busiest parts of the system and the same thing uh on surfaces and they find no covid virus in any of those situations and that gives people a comfort so people should feel more comfortable going into transit that it is not a vector but wear a mask i always use a kn95 mask when i'm on the subway i might use a cloth mask in other environments get yourself a good mask ride the subway and somebody's singing, don't stand next to that person. How much is it public health
2: and how much is it public safety? It seems like a week doesn't go by when you hear about someone pushed on a platform, pushed onto the tracks, all kinds of
0: crime. How much is that a factor? Yeah, crime is a major factor, or at least the perception of crime. Just like the perception of a disease being rampant in the subway system, is not non-existent crime is much lower in the subways than it is in many cases on the surface yet if it happens on the a train somewhere on the a train people in the bronx feel it people in brooklyn feel it in queens feel it in manhattan the a train goes through all those boroughs so it's a it's a big difference when a crime happens on the subway uh, i've had no hesitancy In riding the subway either because of the virus or because of crime however when we interviewed people and we did a survey of of people why they weren't riding transit crime came out to be number one for not riding it the virus came out second working from home was third so people have a number of different reasons that they're not in the transit system we have crossed the 50% mark in the subways, probably at 60% on buses. For some reason, people feel safer being above ground than below ground. Uh, and hopefully we will see a return to more normal levels. But in our surveys, when we ask people what they expect to be doing in 2023, if the virus is gone, more you know, only 90% will return, 80 to 90% will return to the subways. The people will still drive Uh, more than they will be driving now. So this traffic jam is going to be with us, and we need relief measures. And congestion pricing has been on the books since 2019. Uh, ex Governor Cuomo was a big supporter. I'm not sure about Governor Hochul, even though it's on the books. However, 2022, and we're inching closer to 2022 now, is a gubernatorial election year. It's all the state legislators, and what I find is there's very little backbone of courage during an election year. So I suspect we're going to continue to have these kinds of traffic jams throughout 2022, and hopefully congestion pricing by 2023. I want to ask you one other thing about taking the rails. If I bought a monthly
2: pass before, I'm coming in two days a week. doesn't make sense to buy the monthly pass. I'm going to take the money, I'm going to drive. It's going to be the same price as buying a rail ticket, for example. What should the railroads be doing? Can they do something to offer some kind of package deal where people get a discount and it entices them to get out of their cars?
0: Yeah, I think uh, transit needs to have a whole facelift uh, and it has to do a great deal with perception. Pricing may be part of the strategy lowering the pricing to get people to come back into the system. I think, you know, making the subways less expensive isn't gonna work that much. There is a program called Fair Fair F A I R F A R E S uh, in which low income people can pay half fare, and that's a dollar thirty seven or or around that amount to take the subway, so it's not a, a great deal. But I think a whole marketing campaign is needed along with a whole set of incentives. Let
2: me me interrupt you. I'm thinking more of the railroads, so Long Island Railroad, Metro North, NJ Transit. If I'm driving from the suburbs, should I get a 10-pack or a 5-pack where I get a discount so I won't drive?
0: Yeah, the, the railroads should think of a whole effort in terms of perhaps lowering their fare, reflecting that a month no longer means 40 uses, 20 coming in, 20 leaving, that it might mean eight times that you need to use it. So uh, COVID has reset so many things, certainly has reset the railroads, got hit harder than the subways. And a lot of that has to do with the people who use the railroads are often the suburbanites. Many more of them have the option of working from home and many more of them own cars and come in. So the railroads really have to be targeted. Congestion pricing does take 20% of the money and give it to the railroads. The other 80% goes to the city, subways, and buses. Sam Schwartz has some interesting ideas about how to
1: loosen up traffic on city streets, including building pedestrian bridges from Brooklyn and Jersey City into Manhattan to allow people to walk or bike in and leave their cars at home. We'll get to that a little later, but first, mass transit is certainly struggling. Rush hour ridership is still down significantly from pre-pandemic levels, and we wanted to hear more about those concerns. We got on the phone with Acting MTA Chair Jano Lieber to hear how he sees things.
3: So, first of all, there are important numbers, a couple of different important numbers to look at. We're about 55% in the, in the peak hours, in the rush hour commute, but overall ridership is closer to 70%, 70% because what we're seeing is that we're at discretionary times off peak, there's actually more, it, it, it's, it's much closer to pre-COVID level. That indicates that people are ready to ride on mass transit. They feel safe. They're optimistic, um, overall. Um, but the companies haven't called them back to work yet and we all know that manhattan office uh, offices are only about 30% occupied so the, the, the i think that the trend and those stats indicate that once uh, folks uh, office you know companies call people back to work in offices our ridership is going to grow dramatically um, why are we looking at uh mass transit ridership as i said about 55 percent in the peak hour and 70 percent overall versus, you know, bridge and tunnel traffic that is similar to before. One is that um, what we've got is uh, obviously some people are electing, got in the habit of driving uh, during the pandemic when for, you know, lots of reasons. We understand not everybody felt as comfortable on mass transit, but the bigger issue is truck traffic and the growth of, uh, of trucks and materials are, you know, our are, are, uh, economy economies more and more dependent on deliveries. People are buying things on the internet like crazy, as we all know. And the result is that there is a lot more uh, traffic of trucks and materials working around, maybe even than there was before the pandemic. So some of the increased uh, traffic on the bridge and tunnel crossing is... Uh, people commuting by by automobile but um, a lot of it is also the the growth of the the internet economy
2: not everybody's going to be coming back to work five days a week and if i was used to buying a monthly pass on the long island railroad metro north and i'm only coming in two days a week i'm not going to get the discount is there a thought about creating like a 10-pack Some kind of smaller discounted package.
3: Well, number one is right now we have we're giving a huge discount because we've preserved off-peak fares. There are no peak fares in effect on our on Metro North or Long Island Railroad. So the 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 folks who are riding are getting a benefit of of that major discount. So you know, even if they bought a monthly in the past they're getting a a, a pretty big discount right right now even if they're only going in a couple days a week um but you're right we we do need to look at new fair products and new fair uh options um going forward because you know there's there's some sense that hybrid work or a, a version hybrid work is here to stay so we are actually engaged in analyzing that right now we can't just throw a new fare out there without doing our homework and understanding, especially in light of the MTA's financial situation, which is pretty serious, um, what the implications are. But we are going to look at other uh, discounting options um, for uh, potentially uh, putting into effect in the new year um, at the time when in all probability, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to peak fares, but there will be some new discounts along the lines of what you're discussing. What
2: kinds of discounts are you considering?
3: Well, and some, there are a couple different options that are being studied, but some of them might be similar to what you mentioned, which is a discounted 20-pack or discounted 10-pack, dealing with uh, folks who maybe in the past bought a monthly, Uh, or an unlimited, but now uh, are are, are going to be looking for a discount with uh, maybe a a lower lower frequency of usage.
2: How much of a concern do you think the fear of COVID or the fear of crime is keeping people off the
3: subways? As I said, I don't think that it's fear of COVID or fear of crime. When people in the discretionary travel periods on weekends, on holidays, off hours our ridership is closer to 75 percent of what it was pre-covid that indicates people are pretty comfortable uh getting back on mass transit they know that in europe and asia and other places which have much higher levels of mass transit usage relative to before covid there's no evidence that 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 uh that mass transit is a vector of infection spread especially in the you know with masking but uh and COVID levels are going down in New York. So I think people are comfortable, not every single person, but broadly speaking. And we're going to be in good shape. But it depends on when companies call people back to offices and the frequency of usage. And that's what we're waiting to see. So you don't think you need to
2: convince people or sell people on the idea of taking either the subway or the railroads?
3: No, I, I, I wouldn't say that, Peter. What I would say is we, we've launched a pretty aggressive uh campaign to you know s- remind people of the benefits of mass transit that you know that it's that it's affordable that it's um, the fastest way to get there that it's safe and also that you know for a lot of people that's their alone time when they can catch up on their phone their texts their emails they can read um all those benefits are, are part of the campaign that we call welcome back new york and um you know people are excited i think a lot of people are excited to get back to their normal routine after you know a year and a half of, of being cooped up in one way or another so uh, so we think that we're we're pitching people are buying and we're going to get there but as i said partly depends on when offices reopen
2: one of the things that's about buses, is uh, in terms of these uh, bus lanes and and trying to increase them what kind of plans would you like to see, and what kind of help do you need from the city to make sure you get, you not only get bus lanes, but they're clear?
3: Peter, a really good question. Buses are a, an unsung hero of our mass transit system. You know, it, 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 in the pre-COVID period, it was like two and a half million riders per day, and they not only move people around neighborhoods, but for a lot of neighborhoods in New York where they don't have uh, easy access to subway buses are mass transit. And it's especially important for low-income populations and neighborhoods. Um, so we're determined to make the buses in, in, in New York faster and a more reliable way to move around. The key is we need bus lanes. We need buses to be able to move um, and not to be impeded by traffic and double parking and so on. We, I, I have made an arrangement with the New York City uh, Department of Transportation Commissioners, somebody I've known for many years. That we're actually doubling the number of bus lanes and bus ways that we're installing. But we're not doing just that. We're also um, increasing cameras so that you can enforce the bus lanes. We've got FedEx and UPS and Fresh Direct, and they're blocking and a lot of other companies, don't get me wrong, and, and also private drivers blocking bus ways. So that buses can't move and people can't get where they're going at a reasonable uh, in, in a reasonable speed, we got to deal with that. So bus camera enforcement, we're going to have a lot more of that, and we're also um, looking to uh, to con- reconfigure traffic signals so that when a bus approaches an intersection, it gets priority. That's called uh, t- uh, TSP, traffic signal prioritization. So we're doing a lot of different things to try to speed bus travel. And it's a huge priority that I've set out. We've already taken major action on that.
1: But Jano Lieber from the MTA also believes that mass transit alone will not be the answer to dealing with the issue of traffic in cars. So we turn back to Peter Haskell and our conversation
2: with Sam Schwartz. Back to traffic. Congestion pricing is probably, as you suggest, more than a year away at best. Short of congestion pricing... What kind of measures can be taken to try to ease this traffic?
0: One of the things that we've done in the past, and I did it as a city official in 1980 during a transit strike, is we required two or more people per car to come into Manhattan in the morning, say 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. or or noon. Uh, And that was done again after 9-11, and after 9-11... Some of the lower Manhattan crossings, including the Battery Tunnel, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Holland Tunnel, that was in effect for about two years. So many of the streets were closed in lower Manhattan at that time, there was no capacity to allow the traffic to come in. Superstorm Sandy, again, for a short duration, we had a requirement for two or more. We're heading in that direction. Ultimately, people will say, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. Do something about it. Now, whether it's going to be Bill de Blasio, who does something in the next couple of months, and that's all he has left, or Eric Adams, I'd say it's most likely going to be Eric Adams who will have to confront this. You talked before
2: about political backbone. That clearly is not a popular choice. Do you think the next mayor or legislators or the governor is going to say, HOV lanes crossing the bridges
0: and tunnels, is there the political will to do that? I'd say there's the political will, in all likelihood, with Eric Adams. A first year of a mayoralty is the time to do things, to get things done. It's not an election year. He has three more years years after that to worry about that. However, 2022, for state legislators and a governor or governor wannabe, uh, it is an election year. So you're not going to get the support of the state uh, in 2022 and the state really controls congestion pricing, whether that goes in or not. That's the MTA and the MTA, Jano Lieber is a, a very good leader at the MTA but he hasn't even been permanently appointed. It's unclear whether he'll be chair or CEO or uh, you know whether he'll even have the job with a, a new governor. Uh, so I would say things like carpool lanes on the bridges, high occupancy lanes on the bridges. Eric Adams may very well be able to do some of that during his first year. you talked about trucks causing traffic, just an
2: observation, there are parts of this city that during certain parts of the day are flooded with Ubers and Lyfts. What role do you think they play in all this traffic we see?
0: Yeah, the city was caught flat-footed at the beginning of the 2010s, uh, 2011, when Uber and Lyft and Via and Juno and Get and all the others came into being. And in 2014, uh, the mayor was going to put a clamp on the number of Ubers and Lyfts, uh, which would have been the right uh, plan. He got cold feet, and as a result, we have been flooded with Ubers and Lyfts. And the problem wasn't the Uber and Lyft. The problem was the pricing structure. They were being subsidized, and the yellow taxis had to fend for themselves. So the yellow taxis, and I drove a yellow taxi more than 50 years ago, and I used to do 30 trips, 30 fares, 30 customers that I'd get during the course of, of a day. Uh, now, when with Uber and Lyft, uh, the taxicab drivers were down to 19 or 18, and it's tough to make a living. had COVID on top of that, and it's even lower. So the yellow cabs, some of them aren't even reporting to work. And Uber and Lyft, some of them are not reporting to work. We need to review the Ubers and Lyfts uh, with congestion pricing. Now, there is a $2.75 charge south of 96th Street, 250 dollars for taxis. I think the taxi charge should go away because I view taxis as part of the public transportation system, but the Uber and Lyft should be charged not just based on picking up a customer, but on the amount of time they spend in the congestion zone. So if they're sitting at a curb, taking up a parking spot that a truck could use, and as a result the truck is double parking, they should be charged for all the time that they spent in the central business district. So we get the pricing right, that the Uber and Lyft is a much better service in terms of quality of service, they come to your door than the yellow taxi, it should be priced appropriately. It's really the first time that we had, prior to the Ubers and Lyfts, we had public transportation which was a lower service at a lower price, you had taxis at a more moderate price, and then you had luxury limousines at a much higher price. Problem is Uber and Lyft were privately being subsidized. Uber was le- losing a quarter billion dollars a year or a quarter was losing a billion dollars a quarter. I got that backwards. Imagine if you were able to subsidize the yellow taxis, what they would be like, but they don't even come close in terms of service. You talk about these... Uh App share
2: vehicles at the curb. Another problem we see all over the city is the double parking, is the truck unloading. You go over to Columbus Avenue, two two lanes are blocked by double parked trucks. How does the city deal with that? What should what should the city be doing?
0: You know, the the first thing that I look at if somebody would bring a double parking problem to me when I was traffic commissioner back in the 1980s so eons ago is what's at the curb so a trucker will not double park if the trucker could pull into the curb and if at the curb and in big parts of Manhattan you look in the windshield of the cars at the curb and you'll see placards they may be real they may be phony but what I would do back in the 1980s is enforcement came under the traffic department And I was able to then ticket those cars, tow those cars. So I recommend that enforcement go back from the the police department, back to the DOT, because the police really don't care about parking and traffic enforcement. That's not why they became cops. Uh, They want to do public safety work. And during the period uh, that I was a commissioner, I'd say we towed probably a million vehicles, we this doesn't make me very popular we probably wrote 50 million tickets and you can imagine that we had millions of confrontations now none of our people carried guns so we we never killed anyone uh, on that we had plenty of angry people some of our people were assaulted but by and large it's better for a citizen not a non cop to be doing the traffic enforcement than a cop, except if you're talking about highway uh, speeding and those kinds of chases. But we did moving violations, we did parking violations, and the public right now is, there's a good deal of hostility to police doing these random stops. The traffic agents reflect the city of New York more more people of color, more people who are moderate and low income, and I think for that reason it would be a much better outcome if we return the traffic responsibilities, enforcement responsibilities to the DOT. So just ticket the heck out of them. Uh, Ticket and tow them. I had tow trucks at my beck and call. Uh, Once a week I would go out and I would blitz an area in which I had received complaints, And people remember, when getting a ticket is one thing, uh, but getting towed and visiting a tow pound, it's not the happiest place on earth. I've been there. I hate to say
2: it, but I've been there. There are parts of the city that aren't necessarily accessible to the subways. We've got these transit deserts. What should we do about that so the folks who live there aren't driving?
0: Yeah this is where 2021 we're in a time in which technology can solve a lot of problems we have to start thinking in terms of a different form of public transportation and that is microbuses that uh, computer generated information tells the microbus where the customers are and we should be heading to a, a day in which we might even have some autonomous vehicles you might have an attendant on board if there's a problem but uh, where we have lower density we're only offering a bus every 20 or 30 minutes for the that same cost with with the new technology we could probably triple the amount of bus service send out smaller vehicles to do the job and still keep the same number of people working. One of the things I know you've suggested in the past
2: is bridges for bikes and pedestrians. Where
0: do you see these bridges going
2: and how do you pay for them?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm suggesting that we have pedestrian bike bridges that go from Queens to Manhattan, called the Queen's Ribbon, that will also touch down at Roosevelt Island, another one from Brooklyn, to lower Manhattan, touching down at Governor's Island, and in New Jersey, in Jersey City, you have City Bike, and one mile away you have City Bike in Battery Park City, and no way to get there, no way to connect. So one a bridge across the Hudson River, and these would be bike pedestrian bridges. And I've costed them out with, with a firm called T.Y. Lin, which builds bridges all over the world. We could do it for under $200 million. Now, if With all the infrastructure money, the trillion dollars of infrastructure money, this would be one of the best investments, and on a passenger basis, would cost far less than building uh, the 2nd Avenue subway, let's say, which should be built, but will cost far less, and people will be healthier. They'll be able to walk, they'll be able to bike or e-bike across. You know, just in terms
2: of this trafficking, and we talk about the Central Business District, but... What impact does this traffic have on Fort Lee, on downtown Brooklyn, on a Hudson Square, on Long Island City? Does the traffic get to a point where people are just saying, I am not going to those places as a destination? And there's a quote from Yogi Berra that comes to mind. He says, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Do we get to the point where people say, I'm not going to these various points. I don't want to deal with the bridges and tunnels and the traffic. And if so, what's the economic impact of that?
0: Yeah, there is a major economic impact of traffic congestion. And as the traffic gets worse and worse, and we are an island, particularly in Manhattan, that relies on people coming in and spending their money, uh, there will be some people that say... I'm I'm not going to bother it's it's too difficult to get in and So you it it hurts uh, The theater district it hurts the restaurants it hurts entertainment and it hurts Finding employees that are are willing to to fight that and that's why I've proposed the bike Pedestrian bridges as one way to bring people in it could be done a lot faster than building another subway Uh, Eastside Access will open in the next couple of years, adding more capacity from Long Island and from Queens into Manhattan. But we don't have any other rail plans going on. So we need better transit solutions. I'm a big believer in streetcars, bringing them back in some locations. The BQX, which would connect with loads of subways and make it easier for people to get into Manhattan. Or to get from Brooklyn to Queens, where yeah, now you have to go into Manhattan and come back out. Streetcars on 42nd Street, once you come in, you, you won't need a car to get around at all. You won't need a, an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi. So really good public transportation has to be part of the equation. And just in terms of folks
2: driving in, do we need to, should tolls be raised? Should the tolling structure be changed? How do we deal with that kind of situation?
0: Uh, The toll structure that we have in New York City makes no sense. And it it really comes about uh, just because of some history. When the Brooklyn Bridge opened in 1883, people were charged to cross the Brooklyn Bridge. When the four East River Bridges were finally completed in 1909, if you wanted to take a newfangled automobile, you'd have to pay 10 cents. Uh, if you were on a horse, it was three sets uh, to come in. And then Mayor Gaynor, who was from Brooklyn, didn't believe we should have tolls separating the city. Remember, Brooklyn became incorporated in the city in the late 1890s. In 1911, he removed the tolls from the four East River bridges. And that led to their maintenance decline. And in the 1980s, I had to close the entire Williamsburg Bridge, parts of uh, the Manhattan Bridge, parts of the Queensborough Bridge. Uh, it really was a mess. The bridges that you pay a toll for now within the city are Robert Moses Bridges. So you could have a bridge right next to another bridge, like the Triborough Bridge, RFK Bridge, next to the Queensborough Bridge. One, you have to pay a substantial amount, round trip, third, about 12 dollars 513 13 And the other one, you don't have to pay, even though it once had tolls. Um, you then then you cross the Hudson River and it costs the same amount to come to go to Staten Island as it on the outer bridge from New Jersey as it costs to take the um, Lincoln Tunnel directly into Midtown Manhattan that's crazy so our tolling strategies are backwards people people who are going from Long Island going up to Connecticut, take the Throgs Neck Bridge and have to pay a toll whereas people who go on the Queensboro Bridge to Midtown don't have to pay a toll so that's why congestion pricing the way I envisioned it is let's correct some of the wrongs and maybe this will come out whenever that panel is appointed by the governor and the mayor is coming into the Manhattan Central Business District should be the most expensive going to Staten Island should not be as expensive as going to Manhattan. Going from Queens to the Bronx should not be as ex- as expensive as going to Manhattan. This is a time to rationalize the tolls in the city, which make absolutely no sense, are at these levels because of some history and because of a couple of individuals, Mayor Gaynor and uh, Robert Moses. Last thing, you've been very patient.
2: A lot of ideas you've talked about here How difficult or easy or how optimistic are you that any of this happens or, you know, better than anybody, there's inertia? What's the likelihood we just keep, pardon the expression, pun intended, we keep spinning our wheels here?
0: You know, I I remain an optimist. I started working for the city uh, over 50 years ago when John Lindsay was mayor. And we did accomplish a number of things. We, were, we, we did away with the 20 lanes that we were going to have crossing Manhattan, the Lower Manhattan Expressway, as well as the Midtown Expressway, both Robert Moses' plans. So sometimes uh, uh, stopping something is doing something and that allowed Soho to grow and, and South Midtown also to become a whole, a whole entity. We are able to change Westway and make it into a boulevard. And people are enjoying now a waterfront. They're enjoying viewing it, walking it, biking it for 20 miles around Manhattan. And ultimately one day it'll be completed for the 27 miles around Manhattan. So I've seen a number of things built or rebuilt in the city of New York. And it is possible even with the political systems that we have. So I'm hopeful. I'm fighting for congestion pricing. I've been fighting for it since the 1970s, and I'm not giving up. Our thanks to Peter Haskell,
1: Sam Schwartz, and Jano Lieber. In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. The executive producers are myself, Tim Scheld, and Peter Haskell, production assistants from Dempsey Pilat. Listen to In-Depth each week on your time on demand. Just search for 880-IN-DEPTH wherever you get your audio. And as always, thanks for listening, and please be safe.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours